Welcome to Amplified. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Welcome. This is Ken Roshan on Voice America Amplified channel. And what a great show to end the decade and bring us all the answers we need so we can be superhuman, super successful, super abundant, and I guess future Evolution 3.0 people for the new decade. So uh, this show is brought to you by, of course, the Keep Smiling Movement. And uh, our guest today will be a really good launch pad for our first 100 Keep Smiling books and also the Red Carpet Connection. Andrea, who is the executive director of the Keep Smiling Movement and the producer of this show, has been uh, diligent in bringing us phenomenal guests like the one you're about to hear from. Andrea, how are you doing? I'm excellent. I also wanted to thank HitCheck, um, who's been one of our sponsors that came on board recently as well, who helps people with the, um, testing the brain and seeing if they're safe enough to go back out onto the play field or whatever kind of industry that they're in. And I, and I know their tagline is brain shmrain, right? <laughs> it might be. <laughs> All right. Well, introduce the guest. I will. So speaking of some pretty intelligent people, we are very thrilled to have Perry Marshall on with us. He's a highly intelligent, highly paid engineer and business consultant who is most known for his mathematical formulation of the Pareto Principle as a fractal law of nature. And that information was published in the Harvard Business Review. And he's also taught at NASA's Jet Propulsion Labs in California at the Institute of Technology. And um, with having all this information and knowledge, being a son of a pastor and a Christian, he questioned the debate of evolution versus creation and intelligent design. So what his research unearthed about science could signal a paradigm shift in the battle between Darwinism and that evolution and the creation and intelligent design. So eager and encouraged to do more research and have other people participate in finding coding, a certain particular coding for evolution, he launched the $10 million Evolution 2.0 prize at London's Royal Society with judges from Harvard, Oxford, and MIT. So with a decade of research, he really brings a fresh perspective to this 150-year-old evolution debate. So in the past, where people like Bill Gates and the founders of Google revolutionized software and the internet through their status as outsiders to an industry, Perry's harnessing that communication engineer's outsider's perspective to reveal a century of unrecognized research and discoveries. So with Evolution 2.0, it builds a case on standard peer-reviewed mainstream research, and it really helps solve that conflict that's going on. So we are so excited to have him in the past he's also been known for his works on the 80 20 sales and marketing the ultimate guide to google ads and the industrial ethernet so as you can hear there's a lot more to share about him we just super excited to have you on talking today about evolution 2.0 breaking the deadlock between darwin and design <laughs> i Welcome, love Barry. it well, well good morning and and thank you for deciding to go into the like one of the five most contentious topics in the world you know, gay rights, gun control, immigration, abortion, and evolution. So you guys are brave. I'm I'm glad, and this is this is going to be really fun because um, this whole perspective kind of breaks the the discussion out of a box that it's been in for way too long. So 
this is going to be really interesting for everybody. Well, to be a little daring, Perry, I'm going to start off with probably one of the tougher questions of the show. And I heard that uh, in your bio, you're highly intelligent and highly paid. And I'm just wondering, do you think there's a correlation at all, Perry, between highly intelligent and highly paid? Well, I think you need to be careful not to box intelligence into two like familiar categories. You know, uh, there's, there's a great book by Rory Sutherland where he says, he says, I've never seen any really clear correlation between academic success and success in a career. And he says, just because um, people graduated from certain universities doesn't seem to automatically guarantee that they're going to be, you know, a good employee or a good, um, you know, there, there's, there's other things. And um, in, in different, you know, every, everybody knows somebody who's like, um, dropped out of high school, but they are absolutely an amazing bass player or something yep. like that, right? And so, so I, I think you know you you even have to be careful about defining intelligence. And you can increase your intelligence, and if, you know if you go very very deep into a subject, um, you know you you can go places that nobody else has gone. Now, where where I feel like things really become valuable is when you learn to become interdisciplinary, which means you go deep enough in one field to start to figure out how the world works, but then instead of staying in that comfort zone, you start going into other fields, and then you start connecting the dots. And that's, in my experience, that's the kind of intelligence that creates real serious breakthroughs. And breakthroughs are always created by outsiders. Um, It's not too often that a massive breakthrough will come from the inside of an industry. So Bill Gates was an outsider. Larry and Sergey, who started Google, were outsiders. The guy that started Uber was not from the taxi industry. Um, Ray Kroc was not from the restaurant industry. Um, And then, you know, the icing on the cake is the people on the inside are not exactly going to celebrate you when you show up <laughs> from the outside, you know, with your, you know, none of these people were celebrated or Steve Jobs, right? Like right. none of these people were exactly warmly embraced by the old school. Um, but, but that, that really is the theme here. And uh, it becomes quite an interesting story when you get into evolution. Well, I feel like that is the culminating question, and the answer was so brilliant. I am actually going to just do a mic drop, and we are done with the show. So that was awesome, Perry. (laughs) So I have a feeling that the phones are going to be ringing hard today because with the $10 million prize, I'm not going to be surprised with our audience that someone calls in, gives you the answer, and collects the $10 million. But (laughs) you you know intention's everything, right? Intent is everything. So I'm going to make my intention very clear to you so you don't think you're playing with just another radio host. I did ask Santa. I asked Santa, and I backed it up in case Santa did not deliver. I invested $169 in a gene editing kit from Amazon because I'm a Prime member. I got it for free in shipping. And I think that and all the information <laughs> to show is going to be pretty much a slam dunk that I win the prize. So thank you in advance for what is going to happen in this hour. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because because you know it's not it's not a joke that you can buy a gene editing kit on Amazon for 169 dollars, and um, because of 
new technology in the last uh, six years, um, it is as e- easy to edit genes as it is to edit a blog post, and you could do it in your basement. Um, and, you know, just because people can be doing it doesn't mean they should. And, but what it really means is that it's urgently, pressingly, fire alarm important that people understand that the way everything got here, yes, life did evolve, but it didn't evolve by accident. And it didn't evolve by copying errors and, you know, just mere happenstance. And life is not just a happy chemical accident. And we are not smarter than life itself. Um, Life is smarter than us. And so we have to, uh, if we don't approach this question with tremendous reverence, we are poised to make some catastrophic mistakes in the 21st century. Would you like somebody to do to the human genome what we've already done to the atmosphere mm. and the water? Yes. Right? That's so yep. remember, remember that, you know, the, the people that created all the pollution in China are really smart, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? <laughs> the, people, the people that created all the landfills, they're really smart, too. <laughs> But right. are they? You know what I'm saying? Exactly. We have to tread very carefully. You know, where angels fear to tread, as they say. Well, I loved your analogy, Perry, when you said we have to be careful not to push the toothpaste out where we can't get it back in afterwards. Right. Right. And so and one, I, one of my um, – go, go ahead, please. I was going to say I tried this morning because I thought that might be one of the tests in order to win the $10 million, and it is almost impossible. It's hard. Well, one of my prize judges is George Church from Harvard and MIT, and he is literally one of the most famous geneticists in the world. In fact, 60 Minutes had a whole segment on him about two weeks ago, and it's brilliant. Um, he's, um, he's been connected in some way to almost every major advance in genetics in the last 30 years. Um, He's on the judging panel for the Evolution Prize, and I sat down with him about a year and a half ago, and we had a whole conversation about gene editing. And now they're doing amazing things, and if you you go deep into the subject, you'll find out, you know, it, it, it may be possible to permanently get rid of diseases like cystic fibrosis um, with gene editing, and um, and, you know, there's really amazing things we can do. But George also said to me, he said, you know, this is more dangerous than giving everybody a gun. Um, you know, he said it's really scary. He says, you know, what if some guy's girlfriend breaks up with him and he decides to take revenge on the whole entire world? Uh, you, you know, so, so we really live in, in perilous times. And so this is exactly why Evolution 2.0 is such an important message. Um, This became so fascinating the deeper and deeper I went. I would have never, 20 years ago, I would have never imagined or guessed that I would be on some radio program on the eve of 2020 talking about Darwinian evolution. Like, who wants to talk about that? That's kind of depressing. You know, that's kind of like, you know, uh, you know, Darwin Awards and stuff like that. Like, why, why, would I, why would I be interested in that? 
that I found out. Uh, it, it, and it, it just keeps getting more fascinating. It's, it's, it's the most fascinating rock I've ever turned over. So, yeah, I can't very similar. get into how, how this happened. And it's very similar to Darwin's search for the truth, too. I mean, the more he searched, the more he found out there was so much more to find out. Yes. In fact, Darwin didn't really answer any questions. Darwin right. only created more questions. Right. Now, Darwin has been badly bastardized. Okay, And Darwin would be horrified if he saw what has been done to his persona and his theory, um, because if you read Darwin, you, you very quickly see he's humble, he's tentative, he puts things out there, he's like, you know, hey guys, like, I don't know if this is right, but, you know, I've really thought about this hard, and it looks like this is happening, it looks like this is happening. Darwin had some ideas that were stunningly correct, that were completely ignored, um, and then some of his worst ideas got pushed to the front. Um, and, and so, um, yeah, so, you know, he's, been, he's kind of been turned into um, a poster child for something that he never was. Um, atheism, for example. Uh, Darwin was mm-hmm. certainly not an atheist. Um, and so, so when I wrote this book, well, so, so here's what happened. My... My brother went to China after he graduated from seminary with a master's degree in theology, and um, he became a part-time missionary and an English teacher. And he was there for four years, and um, four years into his um, time there, I went to visit him, and when I got there, I realized, hey, wait a minute, Brian is not a missionary anymore, he's not even a Christian anymore, he has thrown this whole thing out the window. And that was a shock because Brian had been the most conservative member of the family. And all of a sudden, his political views has changed, his views about science have changed, his views about, about religion have changed, and he, he's thrown it out. And we got into this argument. I, this is making me very uncomfortable. And I said, Brian, look at the hand at the end of your arm. I said that is a nice piece of engineering. You don't think it's an accumulation of random accidents, do you? And he goes, hold on! And he had this whole canned answer that you would get off of, like, any atheist website. Darwin's theory of natural selection proved that you don't need any kind of a designer. You only need millions of years and random mutation and natural selection. You'll get a hand, and you don't need any of that other stuff. So I don't believe that anymore. Now, I was asking that question not as a Christian, we're both pastor's kids. I was asking the question as an engineer. My engineering instincts, like every time I looked at my hand, which I I do quite often, as uh, all of us do, it was like, there's something very, very purposeful going on here. Um, And Brian's like, nope, 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 Perry, you got that wrong. Uh, it looks purposeful, but all you got to do is just turn the crank for millions of years, and you're going to get that. You know, and, and I was like, really? And I remember thinking, hmm, I'm talking to myself. Okay, Perry, um, Brian disagrees with you on this. 
you have a certain intuition as an engineer. What if there's something you don't know? Because, Perry, you, know, you already know, without going any further, that there's a bunch of biologists who would agree with him and not you. And how do you know you're right? And, you know, a lot of people like to slap a bumper sticker slogan on a question like this. And you might be doing that, Perry. So how about you shut up, stop arguing with your brother, stop making this trip miserable, because we were. We were, like, not having a good time. Um, and when you go home, Perry, you start buying books and you start reading papers and you get to the bottom of this. And you've gotten to the bottom of other things, so go figure this out and see, and see where it takes you. And I thought... That's what I'm going to do. And you know what? Uh, if by next Thanksgiving I'm an atheist like Brian and we're sitting around the dinner table and they're praying to their invisible sky daddy and Brian and I are smirking at each other because we figured out you don't need any of that stuff, then I guess so be it. I guess, boy, boy we're the first probably going to fly and this scares me to death, but here we go because I'm not going to ignore any fact that I can confirm is true. So let the race begin. And with that race, I want to make sure that our audience actually knows the question. It's if you produce a self-organizing digital communication system, you win $100,000. And if that process is patentable, Natural Code will write a check for $10 million in part in your end. Now, what is the question you'd like to frame so our audience can get to work? Because I know they're going to be at their computers and their calculators <laughs> figuring this all out. So the question is, how do you get a code without designing one? Because I looked at my hand and I thought, okay, you know, that's built by genes and chromosomes and things like that. Um, I, I think everybody sort of kind of knows that. So can you, can, like, can you get a code by accident? And do codes get better by accident? Or do you have to have some plan in place? My engineer's intuition was you have to have some kind of plan in place. And so I drilled and drilled and drilled into this question. And what I came to was, at the bottom of all of this is a single, really simple question, which is, how do you get code without designing code? Because all the other codes are designed. HTML or English or Chinese or C or Java or post code, postal code or zip code or barcode, those are all designed. I couldn't find any codes that weren't designed. Like, well, okay, so how about the original code? That kind of implies that the original code must be designed. Is there an exception to this? Well, so far, there's not. Nobody knows where the genetic co code came from. In fact, nobody really has an, uh, any idea. But that doesn't mean there's not an answer. And what I realized was, so... I could do what most creationist intelligent design people do, and I could just insist, hey, people, look, it's designed, because all the other codes are designed. There you go. That's the end of the story. Well, I found out there's, there's two problems with that. Problem number one is, if a person doesn't want to agree, they'll just decide you're wrong and ignore you. That's the human engineering part of this. Okay, there's a whole bunch of people, they don't care about that. 
if they if it rubs them the wrong way in a religious sense or whatever, or if they don't want to believe in God, there is nothing you can say to make them believe in God. That's the first problem. Okay, but, but here's the second problem. The second problem is it might be solvable. How do you know this isn't solvable? Now, when I started thinking about it, I thought, well, dang, what if somebody did solve this? If somebody solved this, it would be as big of a deal as anything Einstein ever did. This would be as big of a deal as anything Tesla ever came up with. It would be as big of a deal as Isaac Newton or Charles Darwin. Because this is like the mother of all questions. How do you get life from non-life? Nobody knows. And so I introduced this twist. It was like, we're not going to assume you can't solve this. Let's assume you can, and let's put a whole pile of money on this. Now, if we do that, we accomplish two things. The first thing we accomplish is we don't piss off the scientists who can only get paid to figure things out. Okay, so now, as a Christian, it took me a while to kind of wrap my head around the fact a scientist cannot say, God did it, that's the answer, stick it in a scientific paper and go out to lunch. A scientist doesn't get to do that, and they don't let him do that for really good reasons, right? Isaac Newton couldn't say, well, God made the apple fall out of the tree, that's your answer. Well, no, gravity made the apple fall out of the tree, and that's useful. Okay, so that's the first thing we do. And the second thing we do is, instead of people going, oh, well, I don't buy your God hypothesis, I'm not going to listen to you. Now I keep the question open, I keep it out on the table, and it keeps everybody honest. Because what people tend to do is make up stories about a warm pond, and a lucky lightning strike, and a happy chemical accident. And there was this RNA strand, and and then it turned into a cell. And most of that is just stories. And we're going to push the stories off the table unless you can verify them. And we're going to keep everybody honest in this debate. And so, and so I introduced this $10 million prize. And what I found was there are some very notable, prominent scientists who think this is a great idea. And I mean, I mean very notable scientists. There's George Church at Harvard. There's Dennis Noble at Oxford. There's Stuart Kaufman, who spent years as a leading light at the Santa Fe Institute. There's people like Lee Cronin from the University of Glasgow, who's one of the best chemists in the world. There's people like Addie Prust. Um, in science, people know who all these guys are. Um, and and we, are, we are establishing this as a scientific and a technological question. Um, And so if you don't want to argue about the religious stuff, that's fine. We don't have to argue about that. But we're not going to make up stories either. Right. So I want to acknowledge you for being a power of one individual because all those scientists you named all have a collective uh, mission and you're helping bring all of them together, but you're helping them bring them together in a mainstream type of way uh, and so, first of all, that compliment. I want to digress because, first of all, this is heavy duty, and I really appreciate it and enjoy it. But I want everyone that's listening to the show today and onward to know that they could win 
And so we came up with two more questions. We've added $11 to the purse. So it's, it's $10 million and $11. And <laughs> the, first, the first question is worth $1. Wow. And if, if either you – Barry, I'll send the dollar if you can answer this question. Otherwise, it's open to the audience. Can you imagine a world with, can you imagine a world with no hypothetical questions? <laughs> oh dear! Okay, that's that's the and, and you well, have to prove a, it. That's a that's a pretty yeah. interesting question, man. That's, I know, and, uh, and if they can prove it, they deep. they get a bonus ten dollars. So that's eleven right there. So, <laughs> and then and then for the, By the way, Perry, that's in Ken's book, the No Nonsense book on nonsense, which is my favorite book in the whole world. Evolution 2.0. 2.0 is, is is number two, of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So, Perry, the second question is more geared to science and scientists and engineers so this question is ten dollars and if they can prove it we're actually going to double down so we're not talking about honestly a 10 million 11 we're talking about honestly probably 10 million like 22 dollars so it's kind of double down if you can actually prove both these questions so the question is if there's an exception to every rule is there an exception to that rule oh dear um i know yeah well that that might send my brain into a loop (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is also in Ken's Yeah, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure about that. <laughs> so I want to jump into uh, the beginning of the show in a way because we had you on recently about the 80-20. And one question is, and you've been asked a lot of times, is how does an 80-20 AdWords engineer type go into something like Evolution 2? And so if you'll digress and just say from a childhood, how – your childhood molded you one way and how it molded you, obviously, this direction, too. And then how do you genetically code to make a Perry? That's the part two of that question. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, when I was four, I remember walking out on my front yard and standing in the corner of my yard in Lincoln, Nebraska, and looking up at the stars um, and, you know, I'm... We, we all know what that's like, right? It's just the most wondrous experience. And I, I'm looking at all those stars out there, and something clicked inside my head. It was like, oh, somebody put all that stuff up there. And, like, my Sunday school teacher's been telling me about that. Like, somebody made all this. Oh, yeah, okay. And I just thought, okay, I'm in. I'm in. I, I get it. I was four. Uh, I'm 50 now. Um, I, I, I clearly remember that moment. And, and you know, as obviously, at age four, that is a very primal, instinctual connecting of dots. However, I think it's exactly correct. Like somebody very, very great is responsible for all of this. Okay, so then fast forward. I, I started uh, learning about electronics when I was nine because I got a, an assignment in school to study some famous people, and I picked Thomas Edison. And then, I man, that guy was, like, fascinating. And so I, I went on that, and then I'm hooking up batteries and light bulbs and stuff like that, and then about probably about... Uh, three or four years later, I'm building stereo equipment. And I'm, see, I believe that when you discover science, mathematics, technology, how to build things, how to make things work, 
you are learning the mind of God. Like engineering is a divine activity because God is a creator. And, and, and like when you, you design a race car or paint a painting or, um, or you design a microphone or you, you know, anything like any, any kind of activity like that, you are imitating God when you do that, right? And if you start redesigning genes, you are playing God. All of these things, if done in the proper context, can be an act of worship, which is what all the, all the great um, classical scientists believe, people like Isaac Newton and James Maxwell and Einstein, you know, all of these people in some way, shape, or form saw their activity as being a, you know, a transcendent mission. Okay, and so when, when I came to this topic, well, the, the epiphany was that I had written an Ethernet book, which is a great, like, if you have trouble sleeping, you should just buy my Ethernet book and read it before bed, and it, <laughs> you'll, you'll go to sleep, okay? Um, I wrote it for a trade association back in 2002, um, but I had written this Ethernet book, and I get into genetics, and one day, it just, it just hit me like a freight train. Oh, my word, Perry, all the stuff in Ethernet is in genetics, too, because it's all ones and zeros. It's all digital communication. It's all the same rules. Like, Perry, you can figure this out. And remember when I was talking about being interdisciplinary at the mm-hmm. beginning of the program? Yes. Okay, that was an interdisciplinary moment. Now, I've, I, let me tell you about this fascinating friend I got. Because he, he Wait, gave me I'm one of the best ideas. Second, Perry, Perry. Um, yeah. we need to go yeah, break yeah. of a sound engineer who wants to create something amazing. <laughs> we need to go to break. When we come back, <laughs> okay. we'll learn more about your friend. And we want to thank our sponsors, yeah. the Red Carpet Connection, the Umbrella Syndicate, God and uh, Darwinism <laughs> and <laughs> a Hit Check and anybody else who's really contributed to the Keep Smiling movement. We thank you so much and we'll be back after these messages. sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash The Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. This is Amplify. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. We also would love to hear from you via email. 
to info at umbrellasyndicate.com. Now, back to Amplify. Well, if only we could have this show be hours longer or fit hours more information because there's so many questions, we're never going to get to them all. But uh, I guess just to say something randomly to you, Perry, just to get the right tone to the second segment, random letters versus random words versus random sentences. There you go. So, um, (laughs) Perry, you're, (laughs) you're about to share a story, and then we had to go to break. So why don't we start off with the story? So I've got this friend who is about 32 years old, and he's financially independent, and uh, he, he loves, loves, loves to learn. So basically, he spends his life just pursuing whatever interesting rabbit trails. And he said, every time I go into a new topic uh, and I want to learn something, he says, I spend about 20 hours figuring out, okay, who are the experts? And then I start reading their stuff, and I figure out how to... Um, like how to understand the language they're using because each field has its own language. And he says, eventually, however, I find a person who teaches me more in one hour than the previous guys did in 20 hours. And it takes, usually takes me a little while to find him, but I always find that person is really good at explaining things and they are interdisciplinary. And I call them an interdisciplinary explainer. He says the people who can make a field simple and approachable to outsiders are people who themselves are outsiders. Now, so a, a like a really practical version of this would be if you if you find a really good children's book that explains a complicated topic well. So, like for example. The, uh, for Christmas, I bought my nine-year-old daughter a book called Fungus Among Us, and it's this whole <laughs> children's book about funguses, mm. which is a hot topic these days, mushrooms <laughs> and, you know, all of right. that. And people have no idea, like, fungus is, like, one of the most pervasive things on the planet, okay? And so it's really great. I looked at this book, and I go, this guy is an interdisciplinary explainer. If, he, if, if somebody can explain something like this to children without using all of their scientific terminology and still convey the ideas correctly, that's your first sign of a genius. And that's the kind of person that you should look for. Okay, and in fact, I mistrust people who cannot explain their ideas to regular folks. Mm-hmm. Hence the Einstein and, and so, comment, right? Right. Einstein used to give lectures to all kinds of ordinary Homer and Marge Simpson kind of people, you know, in lecture halls and schools and gymnasiums and stuff, um, because he was able to make, you know, like flying on a beam of light interesting. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I try as best I can. So we have an Evolution 2.0 podcast, and, and I have this book, and we have a YouTube channel for Evolution 2.0, and I, I interview people who are doing these wild, crazy, cutting-edge things. And, and I ask them questions like, well, can you explain this in plain English? And we really try to ditch the jargon um, because – People get so intimidated by this stuff. And then plus, 
in the creation evolution stuff, there's so much shaming and food fights and, you know, and, and, and name calling and everything. It's like, we, we got to stop this. Like we, we need a demilitarized zone, kind of like the strip of land between North and South Korea where nobody's allowed to shoot. So yes, we'll debate facts and yes, we'll be, we'll be hard ass about, you know, about scientific discoveries and all that, but we're not going to be mean and nasty. You have to be civil. You have to be friendly. And, um, and we, boy, we, we need that so desperately right now because everybody, like the hot topic of the last one or two years of, of the decade really is probably the word polarization. Everybody's arguing, everybody's fighting, everybody's against everybody. Like, you know, we can't keep on like this. We're, we're going to rip our culture to shreds, and, it's, and our culture is a precious thing. And so with Evolution 2.0, I'm trying to create a civilized dialogue because I found everybody in this conversation, all the different camps have something useful to say. I have not found a, a tribe within this debate that doesn't have useful things. That's beautiful. Perry, that's actually uh, just the key smiling movement is actually – imitating that perfectly because we care about bringing the world together because differences are to be celebrated. Different thoughts actually converge together can make the world a better place. So I'm so glad you said that. And I want to uh, share that quote that I uh, was trying to remember. It's, it's Einstein's quote, genius is making complex ideas simple, not making simple ideas complex. And you had really yeah. phenomenal quotes in this uh, Evolution 2 book, which really makes the book more enjoyable because you're getting the, the context of a brilliant quote to really get you excited about devouring that chapter. And uh, I mean, you had Black Eyed Peas in there. You had uh, uh, Joni Mitchell and uh, Josh Ritter. I, I particularly like the Joni Mitchell one, but if, if you'd just quickly like to share quotes since I did uh, with the Einstein, uh, one of your favorite quotes you put in the book, or even two if you'd like. Well, one of my favorites is attributed to Werner Heisenberg, who is believed to have said, the first taste of scientific materialism will make you an atheist, but you will find God at the bottom of the glass. Wow. <laughs> I love that. And, and I, I would like to and, share the joint. Go ahead. Go ahead. You know, no, go, please. Go ahead. Well, I, was, I didn't know if you were going to say Joni Mitchell next, so I wanted to share the Joni Mitchell one, and then if you have another one, by all means. Yeah. But um, it's uh, in Appendix 2, and it's, we are, we are stardust, billion-year-old billion carbon. We are golden, caught in the devil's bargain, and we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. Joni Mitchell. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think sometimes the artists and poets say it way better than the scientists <laughs> and the technocrats. <laughs> in fact, this is why it's like, I, I, don't, I don't think it was really until the last 10 years that I really grasped how important um, filmmakers, novelists, poets, songwriters are in making the world comprehensible. Like I mm -hmm. used to watch a movie and I would think, oh, that's entertainment. Mm -hmm. um, no. Like, good movies are way, way more than that. Okay, and so, like, for example, um, we, we have all of these questions that are raised by, well, what if somebody does solve the Evolution 2.0 prize? Which, if they do, that basically means we've created intelligence. 
um, and discovered like real intelligence and not AI. Okay. And then that opens up all kinds of sci-fi questions, just like you have in all the science fiction movies. And what I realized was whatever happens next, a science fiction author will have already predicted it. Hmm. Well, so, Perry, so I like, like to- for example, the, yeah, go ahead, please. I, well, I was going to say, I like the way you uh, brought the four different, I guess, thought processes or groups of who's asking the question or the problem, oranges of life, evolution, AI, and consciousness, and saying they're the same problem. I loved, I love how you put that together. Well, I, I, think, I think it's true. I think people, like, people think where life came from and evolution are two separate questions. No, I don't, I don't think so. People think that AI... And biology are two separate questions. No, they're not. I think all of these are one question. And I think if somebody solves the Evolution 2.0 price, they will solve all of the above, not just one. Which is why I think if it is solved, it will be the biggest discovery of the 21st century. Now, I've got, I could be right, I could be wrong. I can tell you I have a bunch of investors who've put up $10 million who believe that to be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, like, well, I, I also think, so I have a predict. I'll give you a, a prediction for the next 10 years. So are you good with some of that? I'm, I'm um, ready. And, by the way, me- uh, I plan to live 10 more years, so I am going to actually call you on it. So go ahead. <laughs> okay, so... In, in 1999, Ray Kurzweil wrote a book called The Age of Spiritual Machines. And he said, by 2029, we're going to have serious conversations about whether machines can be human. Machines are going to fool people into thinking that we're, they're human. And we're going to have a singularity. And we're going to be uploading ourselves into the Internet and living into the cloud. Hmm. And my prediction is, by 2029, Siri is still not going to be able to convince a six-year-old that Siri is a real person for more than about two minutes, and there is going to be no singularity, and we are not going to be uploading ourselves into the cloud, and there is not going to be immortality, um, and there are, is not going to be spiritual machines. And the, and the only way that is ever going to happen is if somebody solves this. Hmm. But the current technology that we have is not capable of that in any way, shape, or form because computers do not possess intelligence. Goldfish have intelligence. Bacteria have intelligence. People have intelligence. Google doesn't. Facebook doesn't. Siri doesn't. Android doesn't. Because nobody's figured out how a machine can make a choice. Machines only do what they're programmed to do. But biology makes choices. And the evolution prize is a prize that says if you can figure out where choice comes from, how a chemical can choose a one or a zero, which is a choice, we... We're going to write you a check for $10 million. We're going to part you in, into the company, and you're going to be on a magic carpet ride as we then commercialize this discovery. But again, well, because, nobody gets to say they've done it until they've done it. Well, because we have a finite amount of time, 
and I don't know how to magically make the show longer. I will tell you two questions. You choose the one, and if you want to do both of them, I only ask that you do them in shorter fashion. So one is the evolution of human beings and the predicament of overpopulation and limited resources, your comment on that, or the human is designed to be a vegetarian, and we are omnivores, and we have every indication from a human design to be vegetarians, by many people, many scientists. So what do you say to either or both of those? Uh, let, repeat the first one again for me. That's very interesting. Okay, the overpopulation. In other words, what's the evolution of human beings given it's overpopulated in the world, some would say, and there's limited resources. What's next? Okay, when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, they told us that the world was running out of everything. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Most things are cheaper now than they were then. Well, the price of things tells you whether we're running out of stuff or not. We're not running out of stuff, okay? Here's, here's the thing. Resources are not created by miners. They are created by ingenuity. And there is no inherent limit on ingenuity. In the 1850s, we were, the world was going to grind to a halt because we were going to run out of whale oil because the whales were all going to go extinct. And then all the lights and candles of the Industrial Revolution were going to go out. Well, that didn't happen. Okay, in the 70s, they said, we're going to run out of oil and we're going to run out of gas. Well, that hasn't happened. And before we run out of that, we're going to figure out other stuff. Personally, my belief is that incrementally, every human being that is born offers more potential for innovation than they have for consumption. Because you only need one Einstein per century to revolutionize the world. It doesn't take many. Okay? This is not, so overpopulation is not the problem. You know what the problem is? Lack of education. It's girls in Pakistan who can't read. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Like, we're solving the wrong problem. And everybody's always, this guy is falling, everything is going to come to an end. You're right. And then they, they focus on problems that aren't problems, and then they don't solve problems at all. Like, I'm tired of hearing this. I won't bring and, it up again, And there's Perry. this contempt, this contempt for human beings that's implicit in the whole thing. You know, you know, what, you know what problem we're going to have in 30 years? Not enough people. Not too many. China's already got this problem in spades. It's called the 421 problem. Uh, four grandparents, two kids, and one grandchild. So, yeah. And they're, um, and they're changing well, it up. And right. they're changing it up because they had the rule of one child. They are. Okay, so I have one more question, and then I want to yield to Andrea, who probably has a plethora, but we're going to have her give you her best question. So um, since we both have a background in music and um, I guess the variables of how the frequency and music and all the things that happen that cause something to be a hit or a genius way of uh, producing music, uh, tell me what your theory is of what makes music excellent and what music you love. Well, I love all kinds of music. I love classical and jazz and progressive rock especially. But I think, I think music is an expression of the fabric of the universe. Um, I saw a T-shirt the other day. It said, music, music is what emotions 
sound like. Um, and music is very, very, very mathematical. Okay, uh, when when you like a chord, a, a a pleasing chord like a third or a fifth is simple harmonic ratios of like two to three, one to two, three to four. Um, a a highly dissonant chord like a seventh or a ninth is ratios like seven to thirteen or or five to eleven or whatever. Um, obviously, rhythm is all subdivided in 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 mathematical. I think I think music is the link between the theoretical and the actual, and it's a way that we experience. Um, it's the the connection between our mortality and the transcendent, right? And so, like, I take my son to the Chicago Symphony Orchestra uh, every few months, and he plays violin, and we'll sit there. We we got these seats on the terrace, which overlooks the orchestra, so we're actually looking at the conductor. And man, I, I'm telling you, um, when you get to the end of a, of a Tchaikovsky, and the thing is going crazy, like that is like one of the most unbelievable experiences. And and so the question is like, what is it that you're almost touching when that happens? That's beautiful. And I guess uh, for some reason, the, with all these things you said today, I was thinking about uh, David Helfgoff with uh, the movie Shine. Did you watch that movie? I don't know that movie. Okay, it's about the complicated or the quote-unquote impossible um, composition he made and that you almost needed an 11th finger to be able to play that song, the, the, the piece. Um, yeah. And yeah. the person, so the person who did it went mad. He actually did accomplish it, but he went mad because it was so rigorous mm-hmm. in the brain. So that was my question. So wow. I'm going to yield to Andrea, who has a question as well. Well, since we don't have much time, I do want to hear more about um, your, like you coming into music with the speakers and how you met your wife and about Fractal. Um, So if you could do that in like two minutes. (laughs) Because we we still have some rapid fire questions for you. (laughs) People ask me, how did you meet your wife? And I say, well, she was a singer. I was a sound man and she fell in love with my reverb. You know, which, boy, I love the way you make my voice sound. So that's how we met. So, you know, Perry, uh, you, you scratch Perry's itch by just appreciating his sound, right? Um, so, and, and then the, you, you asked about, about fractals. Well, fractals, I think, are, are one of the most fascinating little rabbit trails you, you could go down. For those of you who don't know what fractals are, just go to YouTube, type in fractals, and start watching videos. I think you'll be entranced. Um, well, music is fractal, 80-20 is fractal, DNA is fractal, life is fractal, people are fractal. Boy, that's like six podcast episodes right there, I suppose. But, uh-huh. um, but fractal means pattern within a pattern within a pattern within a pattern. And you'll find it in a Bach piece. You'll find it in a genome. You'll find it in... The, in, in the patterns of a spreadsheet and of a Facebook advertising account, you'll find it in, so like, like people, with, people with bony faces and noses have bony feet and toes too. Um, there's, a, there's a saying, how you do anything is how you do everything. That's a statement that human beings are fractal. And so uh, I discovered, I'll just as a little um, side note, 
there, there's a there's some bonus material that comes with the eighty twenty uh, with the evolution two book, and I, I get this whole um, bonus piece about fractal patterns in DNA. Um, and it, it's inspired by a friend of mine named Jean-Claude Perez, who's a former IBM guy who's a French researcher, and he's now retired, and he's finding all of these fractal patterns in DNA, and it's absolutely fascinating. Awesome. So we're going to go to rapid fire with the few minutes we have left. And the small gift I have for you is to watch the movie Shine. It's about Rachmaninoff's enormously demanding third concerto. And I think you'll not, be, not only entertain, but you'll see why I brought that up in this particular show. So give a... I'll watch it with I my guess, son. Go, awesome. So give a movie that would give uh, an intellectual challenged, uh, intellectual challenge to a 2020 mindset. Well, there's there's 2001: A Space Odyssey, which is like I don't know 40 or 50 years old, and it's crazy? it's about Hal 9000, the computer that takes over the spaceship, and right. that is the question that everybody is asking right now. You should watch that mm-hmm. movie. Very good, Andrea. Um, I want to know when what's your favorite game to play. Um, Monopoly is really high on the list. Um, it teaches you a lot of good things about business. Okay. And music, um, who would you consider one or two music geniuses based on what they've created? Rush. I think Rush is one of the greatest bands in the history of ever. Um, in fact, I think, I still think they're underrated. Um, I agree. Uh, and unfortunately they're, they're done. You know, you can't go to their concerts anymore, but I went to the, uh, the first time I saw them was in 97 and it, it changed That's my like perspective on life. Is that like 2112? It was a test for Echo. T- oh, I like all their albums, but yeah, okay. uh, 2112 is great. Yeah, cool. Andrea? And what did you want to be when you grew up and then we're out of time? I wanted to be a garbage man so I could throw my sister in the trash, but <laughs> I get along with her now. And Perry, how can people connect with you? Uh, go to evo2.org. You can get three free ch- uh, chapters of Evolution 2.0. You can subscribe to the podcast, the Evolution 2.0 podcast. Subscribe to the Evolution 2.0 video channel uh, on YouTube. And we will take you on a wild rocking journey. Uh, and we have only begun. Uh, we've got great things planned for 2020. Well, my prediction, Perry, for 2020 is that your Keep Smiling chapter will be the most intellectual and most inspiring chapter about what is possible in life. So thank you very much for being on the show. You've been amplified, and I am so thankful that you spent two weeks, two hours in this decade, and we look forward to many more hours in the next decade of seeing what is true and how we can actually inspire mankind to be as great as they can be. Thank you very much. We'll be back next week. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplified. Be sure to join Ken Rashad again next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Now, go get your message heard.